Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Adam Baer has become one of the world's biggest DJs through a simple philosophy. He champions straightforward, DJ-orientated club music. It's an approach that has its roots in the earliest days of the Swedish techno scene, where Bear cut his teeth playing raves in Stockholm and working at the Planet Rhythm record shop. When it came to making his own music, Bear channeled his experiences as a drummer into a hard-hitting, groove-orientated sound that can be traced right through to his latest releases. This aesthetic has been mirrored in Drum Code, a label and crew he's overseen for almost 20 years now. Under the Drum Code banner, Bear has put on parties around the world and spread his message through a radio show that goes out globally across 40 stations. Despite the apparent simplicity of this message, Bear says there's always been a misconception about what he does and where he's headed, which is where we started our recent conversation in London. So Adam, I understand you're in something of a uh, transitionary period at the moment. I wouldn't say transitionary period. Well, what do you mean in terms of music? In terms of your sound. Um, In terms of my life, probably. It's a better description. (laughs) But people have been telling me that since 2006 now, when I did my Fabric CD, that I'm in a transitional period. You know, I've been... I've been doing quite uh, varied sets and styles for a long time. And it's every year I keep getting the same sort of question, like, yeah, you're, seems like you're playing more housey or minimal or whatever people want to call it. And I'm like, yeah, but I've been doing that for quite some time. And even in the 90s, I did some releases towards that direction. And I'm actually, you know, I have a bit of a background from the 90s when I started with, with that sort of sound as well. So it's always been there. I just go more more or less in and out of it, depending on how I feel and where I play, I think. And do you think you're in one of those periods of time at the moment? Yeah, a little bit more maybe. I think I've steered my career in that direction deliberately in the last sort of year or couple of years. Yeah, mainly because I like that sort of music, I would say. And it's also a lot of the places I want to play and I and I play, it works better and that's the kind of energy I'm feeling 
it's just you know if you feel good to play something and that's what you like I think you should try to do it as much as possible quite simple really so there's nothing that kind of changes in your approach or your kind of headspace that would kind of lead up to um, maybe a slight shift in focus I mean I think there's a lot of things that has changed in my approach and headspace when I first started I was very young and I think you identify with the music in a certain way as a teenager and in your early 20s and you know I was heavily into techno at the time and like you know the sort of harder darker stuff for a while and quite militant about it like a lot of young people are with the music and the identity but then playing all over the world for so many years and getting exposed to different situations and I think it's opening me up in a way and changed me towards a more varied approach to what mm. I'm doing and also connecting to faces I was in when I was younger and I was maybe listening to more house stuff or more sort of party-oriented techno, which I'm quite known for now, you know. And also the, the fact that my life has changed quite dramatically in the last few years and I feel a lot more positive in general as a human. I think reflects in my music and my approach and my the way I present myself. What have been some of those things that have changed in your personal life? Well, I'm about to have my third child, for example. Um, I've cut down on uh, partying a little bit. I've grown up. You know, you, you get older, you you get wiser, I would say, in a way. Uh, I just feel a lot more positive about every, everything and... I like exploring a lot of different types of music and not have any boundaries. When I've spoken with DJs about the relationship between their family life and their professional life, I get like a whole range of answers and a whole range of like different feelings on this. How much do they become interconnected? Like how much does one kind of inform the other, would you say? I mean, in my case, I think it's even more, it's quite special because my girlfriend and hopefully becoming a wife and the mother of my kids is also a DJ. And we do exactly the same thing. And we even play together sometimes. And that's how we met. So our whole family, I mean, we, we kind of live and breathe or we, we have been kind of living and breathing the music and, you know, trying to organize everything around us both being on the road and with the kids. I mean, she was traveling with the kids and or the first one quite a lot in the beginning, taking taking her to gigs. And so, I mean, it does change things quite dramatically, obviously, to, to get kids. I mean, that must have taken a lot of planning to organize that as a, exactly, as a family unit. Exactly. Between. You need to be very disciplined and uh, you have to compromise on some stuff and you're a family man and you're a, a DJ. And it's, I think it's quite important to try to, to separate your private life and your profession more. I mean, and that's difficult. That's probably the most difficult part for me because I was living my profession 24 hours like most DJs are you know it becomes your identity in a very strong way and suddenly you have to like separate private life and try to not bring the work into sort of that part of your life it's a task and I'm still working on it I mean it's everything's happening very fast and we're on our third kid in in four years so it's it's pretty crazy at the moment <laughs> is it at all risky kind of mixing relationships and like creative endeavors does that ever cause any uh, issues i think it definitely can be i mean so far so good in my case 
I think we both are very aware of the sacrifices we have to make. And to be fair, I mean, Ida is the one who's made the biggest ones because she's the one cutting back on her career for me to be able to still go 100%. And if you can make it work that way and if you find a way through, I think it can be the best thing ever because she also understands what I'm doing. And I think that's one of the most common things you hear about people's girlfriends or relationships or boyfriends or whatever that it's hard to actually understand fully what it takes and what ha what happens on the road and you know the whole thing but she knows because she's been there and she knows all the people in the scene and she's got a very very good insight into everything so that's actually making it easier in a lot of ways would you say that the track that you released together uh you know kind of was something a bit different for you in terms of your recorded music i think you can connect it to some of my concealed project stuff that i did for svek and my true soul back in the days and and uh, you know some of the house here productions i've done but it's definitely not one of my usual tracks that you would hear i think it's a good blend of both of us trying to do more of a sort of end of the night or you know like a bit more sort of happy soulful uplifting thing yeah now, is it kind of a bit of a frustration in a way that you maybe would make something uh, a bit housier and people would make such a big deal of it since i feel i've been doing it for quite some time especially playing that sort of stuff sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating but i don't really see it that way it's okay yeah no, i understand i'm just happy the track did really well you know and people seem to appreciate it for a while i mean when i did things like that there was a big sort of techno community being quite resistance to it resistant you know you would get a little bit of shit or whatever for it but now I've seemed to wash that thing off. Like my fans and the people who, who still believe in me and follow me, they seem to appreciate me doing those kind of things. So I'm, I'm really happy about that, actually. Do you feel as though uh, music consumers are a bit more open-minded these days, maybe more than they were 10 years ago? It's really hard to tell. I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. My fans definitely are. I think techno fans in general are probably quite, I mean, the really elitist ones are probably not so open-minded in that respect. They're quite into what they like and that's it. But I feel that my fans are pretty open-minded these days. So if people were kind of trying to kind of put you in a specific box, could it make it a little bit more challenging when you're like trying to maybe shake things up in terms of your gigs, if you're kind of trying to play new places or like different rooms within the club or something? You know, if you're feeling in more of a kind of creative headspace with like more house music, like can it be challenging to, to get gigs in these kind of like more non-techno orientated spaces? No, I don't think it is now. I think I've reached a point where promoters and clubs trust me and if they book me to a lineup where i'm playing after whoever more housey and in that sort of environment you know they trust that i can deliver and do that sort of thing i won't come there and completely destroy the night by doing something else you know because for me that's a challenge and a lot of the time when i dj i i also think a lot about the whole night and the musical progression of the night, not just about my performance. So sometimes, for example, I just like if I play together with Carl Cox in Ibiza, I would think, okay, I'm playing a Carl Cox night here, and what will the crowd 
like to hear before Carl is going on. And I would think about that rather than just trying to go on and smash it and look as good as possible myself before. I, I actually like having the role of building the night together as a team with other DJs. Has that always been your approach, would you say? Is that something you've kind um, I of think, come to I, th learn? I think I come from a background where I, I always remember appreciating those parties the most where you can feel that the lineup is built as a whole with some thoughts behind it for the whole night rather than just the in individual performances. Although if I'm playing a big festival and I'm on a headline slot, I'm not gonna think like that as much obviously because then I'm there to represent my my sound and, and, and what I do. So it depends. But that's something that's always in my mind and, and to connect to the question, if I'm getting asked to play that sort of party or an after or you know, I always try to adapt. And in terms of your labels, we were talking about this kind of idea of the ebb and flow of what you play and kind of how it varies from year to year. Would you say that that's reflected in the music you release through your labels also? Do you feel like there are sort of periods where things might go a bit more housey? Or? Not as much, because I, I make a, quite a big difference between Adam Bayer and mainly drum code, although I'm very heavily associated with my label. Like in my mind, there's a, there's a difference there, you know? Drumcode always had has had a quite a sort of clear, I think, vision and and uh, role in the scene and and what it, what we've been releasing and the kind of sound and although it obviously does change over the years a little bit and it maybe it's not following trends but it's leaning left and right a little bit. You know when it's a drum code record kind of thing. Sure. Um, True Salt, my other label, is more open. It can be pretty much anything released on there, as long as it's not drum code stuff. Yeah, no, Usually a bit softer, more clubby stuff. And I mean, you talked about it in terms of uh, a long-term vision. Like, how would you define that yourself? What is that vision? I mean, the vision as a DJ is just to spread your music and, and your vibe. And as a selector, your I mean, it's it has changed over the years, and that's what we were talked about earlier. I mean, I think it's actually a really good question. I think I have to come back to that one. <laughs> Is it because it's such a big thing? I, I never actually th thought about it. Okay, to flip the question to, to talk about drum code, would you say that that has kind of a defined message or a kind of defined aim, if you like? Yeah, I think so. It's quite unpretentious club music, my idea when I started it, it was quite simple. It was a techno label with music made for DJs to be played by DJs without putting too much political or conceptual things around every release. It was more just a totally label for DJs. And then obviously that we have expanded and it's become a bit more advanced and the music has changed. And back then it was a lot about tools and playing with on three decks and being able to you know manipulate the music that way and, and now it's maybe more about the individual tracks and stuff but yeah i still see a, a red line running throughout those 18 years when we last spoke to you i think it was 2010 you used the word unpretentious then as well yeah is this something you kind of hold quite dear in terms uh, of like how you connect with music I didn't used to be that way, but I think the scene and, and everything has formed me to become more like that for whatever reason. Is it kind of a case I, of just... I really respect 
people being pretentious about their music. And I like those sort of conceptual things, but I think it's important to realize what you are. And, and Drum Code as a label, and which has become, I mean, I never even expected it to be that way when I started it, but it has become my, almost like my life work, you know, because it's been 18 years and it's my platform. I think it's just find its own place in the industry and we have a very distinctive sound that people can relate to and it's never been a big favorite with the press and the conceptual people but with the public it's always been massive you know and for me that's always been more important than trying to please someone else if you know mm. what i mean like it kind of is what it is and yeah i like that approach but I don't think it's an easy thing to do. There is a concept behind it and there is a lot of thought going into it to keep it that way. You kind of want it to seem effortless in a way. Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does seem effortless because nothing is in this day of age and in this scene now. It's such a fierce, you know, you got to be quite on your toes and at least if you want to, you know, cut through the noise because it's so much of it. So there is a lot of thought and... I mean, I've been living and breathing the label and the music since since day one. So my idea was never to attach like an idea or or a, a statement to the label like some other people within the same scene do, you know? Mm. That was never the idea with drum code. Have you felt something resembling like increasing pressure due to competition down the years? I mean, you kind of alluded to, you know, cutting through the noise and it being a, a much more busy scene these days. Like, is that something you feel on an ongoing basis? I think I would be lying if I said it wouldn't. I think most DJs on this level feel it that way in a way because mm. most people these days are managers, most People are fighting for their billings. There's charts everywhere. There's numbers. There's social media. I mean, it's hard not to look at it and to be involved in it, you know, if you want to work on that level and be part of that sort of the scene I'm part of and those festivals and the whole, the whole thing. What I've been learning over the years, though, is to deal with it in a way that I don't let it affect me too much personally just like i don't go to forums and read too much and i think that can break people quite easily and it's hard to get diluted and start you know questioning your sound or what you do because there's so much instant feedback all the time and people on the internet can be negative and you know more than in real life and if you don't know how to deal with that it's you know it, like i said it can break you so yeah, it's definitely having an impact, but since I've been in the scene since for so long and been with the internet and everything, I've seen it come and go and I find my way to deal with it without letting me affect me too much. Mm. Tell us about your A&R process. How does that work and has that changed much down the years? Um, yeah, it has because in the beginning, the label was only me and my Swedish colleagues and it was really like a family affair. And now... It's open to anyone, pretty much. I had a, uh, a period in the middle of those 18 years where I kind of almost shut the label down or I slowed it down a lot because my sound changed and I was tired of what, what I've been doing before. And um, after that, when I reopened it, I decided to open it more uh, 
to to the wider to the world sort of thing for anyone to be part of it. Saying that though, is I haven't found a lot of demos like randomly that I've done releases of. Is usually I'm getting either recommended by someone to listen to a track or a demo, or it's someone I already playing music from. That's usually what happens now. Like I play someone's music and they see that and they send me a demo. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's important in some ways with the volume of music out there to put kind of uh, filters in place of some description. You have to. Unfortunately, I cannot even listen to even like 90% of all the demos I get because I don't have the time, which is a shame. And I feel really bad about it, actually, because you want to get feedback to everyone taking the time sending you their creations, you know. But I guess there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, right? exactly. In terms of the artists on your roster, do you think there are kind of musical or personal characteristics that you see that kind of link them all together? I mean, you've got quite a tight-knit group of people surrounding you. I was wondering if you see kind of uh, consistencies that kind of go through them. Yeah, I think I do. I'm not sure if it's conscious or unconscious, but I mean, when I found Alan, for example, it was through a couple of tracks, really and i play them and he, you know i ended up asking him to send me some tracks or we spoke i don't remember who took the first contact but yeah i just see something in someone and the right mentality and the right production and and then if it clicks on a on a personal level as well then yeah we're off yeah but, i mean is that something that's kind of vital as well i mean i think so personal... i think so especially now because we're there's quite a lot of personal contact because we do all the drum code showcases and we do a lot of parties together. We play together and it's quite important to get along as a group. The drum code parties is not just about individual performances. It's about building an experience and the night together. And so if you get to play the first slot of the night, you have to warm up. You can't go there and like play your main peak time records because mm. that will destroy the night for everyone else kind of thing. So, you know, I like people who are dynamic and who, you know, who, who, can, who can adapt and who's who are willing and open-minded about what they do. And yeah. I'm right in saying you're still based in Stockholm. Yes, correct. Do you see many kids kind of doing what you do or aspire to doing what you do in the city at the moment? I'm probably the last person to ask these Not questions really. because I'm I'm living there, I'm sleeping there, but I also have my family there, so I don't go out. I'm not really connected to Sweden, unfortunately, that much anymore. I mean, electronic music has boomed there like everywhere else, but it's still on a sort of EDM level a lot mm. or on the very underground. There's a very good, actually, sort of core underground techno movement as well and i think yeah there's quite a few people doing stuff i mean sweden has a big reputation for producing musical talent in all sorts of genres especially looking at how small the population is so yeah there's there's definitely things going on and but i i don't really find people doing exactly what i do and that sort of thing it's either a lot more commercial or a lot more underground at the moment I mean, in terms of the, the time period when the first techno records kind of hit the city, would you describe the interest in the sound around that time as being really quite healthy and thriving? Like, I'm just kind of interested to know what the, you know, the first wave of the sound in the city was really like. 
I think on a on an underground level, yes, and on a sort of youth culture level, yes. In terms of media and and in general, there's never really been any interest. Yeah, it's still. I mean, Sweden is still a rock country to the core, and back then it was more than ever in the '90s. So, no, it was more a it was just more a group of friends doing what we did, and we managed to get our sound and our thing across. I mean, was it something that you uh, kind of felt like you immediately connected to? Did you kind of get it straight away? What do you mean? In terms Sorry. of well, just as kind of techno as a sound, I'm just interested to know if it like made sense to you on an immediate level. When I first heard it. Yeah. Or, I mean, I've been DJing since 87, 88. Okay. I started when I was 11, 12. So... I was buying records and playing other types of music, everything from commercial stuff, pop to hip hop to house and hip house and acid house when that hit. And then, you know, as soon as I started to find the first techno records and whatever in 1991, I pretty much knew that that was it. So I would say yes to that question. I did get hit instantly by the sound and by that stuff. But I was really young and I was still searching for my identity within the music. And when I started to produce in 93, I was still into a very mixed blend of everything. I mean, and I think that was at that time. I mean, no, none of the genres had really crystallized in the same way as now. Now you're like, there's such a, everything is in boxes and you know exactly what everything is. Back then on a rave, we were playing Stone Roses records together with, you know, Rising High and XL records and then an RNS record and suddenly like old New Beat. You know, it's just a big mishmash of everything, which, which was really nice. And I think some people miss that even today. But yeah, it took some time for me to find what I wanted to do. And I did some records before I started to put my name on stuff, which were not really representing my style or my sound. But I'm happy because I knew the moment I did find my sound. And that's when I started to put my own name on stuff. And I also called it Drum Codes 1. It wasn't even on Drum Codes. It was on, on a record label called Planet Rhythm. And it was more percussive and it was techno. And I was like, this is it. Now I can put my name on it and... Let's is that, go. Is that when the pieces fell into place for you, kind of this focus on percussion? Is that how you'd define it, would you say? Yeah, very um, much so. Yeah. I was on a holiday and I just, I think I've just left school and uh, yeah, I just had his idea and I was, I was a drummer before. I played drums since I was nine or something and I was always fascinated by drums and I was obviously thinking a lot of where I wanted to go and I had a couple of records out on different labels some more towards hard trance some hard acid stuff like really hard acid stuff on um, Droppe's Network which was a Midwest label mm. from US back then and Direct Drive from New York Overdrive from Germany play, labels like that and then some trancey stuff on Planet Rhythm as well like hard trance slash you know 150 BPM sort of things which was the sound back then but I didn't really know what I wanted I went to the, on this record hunt in Berlin once and I came home with the, a lot of Jeff Mills records and, and I think that was around the time, this was 93, 94, when I started to form my love for techno and I realized 
that was what I was going to do. I think I just liked the pureness of it and the clear vision. Such a strong theme around it. And were you able to kind of successfully like transmit your message within Stockholm? A little bit. I mean, we had this huge club for a couple of years in Sweden where we played and stuff, but... What was the name? Docklands. Um, but, you know, the scene was never that big and it's, it's such a small country and I, I think I was always looking... Or as soon as I realised that there was a possibility of leaving Sweden and play on a global level, I did, you know, yeah. because it was it just wasn't enough, you know. It's not like London or Berlin or somewhere where there's a few clubs or a lot of clubs and a healthy scene. So we were travelling to go to parties. We went to, you know, Denmark and... Germany a lot and England just to to visit raves and stuff so was um Docklands about as close as you kind of got within the city to sort of realizing that broader sort of techno dream was that as kind of as good as it got around those days yeah for sure I mean that club would actually it would stand up pretty well today it was like a, a big Bergheim almost it was in a old sort of um, dock where they were building ships back okay. in the day and it was like a big warehouse and they had a, a custom-made sound system and it held like a couple of thousand people and it was just like a, a amazing place. But um, yeah, cops shut it down after a while because it all became really political and the people behind it was having, they were all quite political active and but in a very liberal way, which the authorities didn't like at all and they were quite um, liberal in terms of drugs and stuff as well which in Sweden is a no-go so they shut it down and after that they kind of killed the whole scene together with shutting Docklands down and so that even more made me want to leave Sweden and, and explore you know the rest of the world and DJ in other countries because there was nothing from maybe 97 to 2002, 2003. And uh, I assume when you say nothing, you really mean it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was probably something, but not on the scale we wanted it. You know, I wanted it to play the, the real stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. <laughs> and you were working in the record store as well, Planet Rhythm. Was that for quite a long time? Was that a long... It's probably maybe two, three years, something like that. As soon as I quit school, literally three days after I started to work in the record store, probably 94 and um, I think around when Docklands went down also the record store kind of went down because they went a little bit hand in hand the scene started to die the guy who owned it moved back to England he was English and uh, you know it was just the end of an era so yeah we closed it I was interested to read in your biography, are you described as obsessive when it comes to uh, studio work? Is that a fair thing to say? I probably used to be. I don't think I am now because yeah, my life and the situation I'm in has really allowed me to work as much in the studio as I would like to over the last at least five years. But I probably used to be quite obsessive and, you know, just wanted to get things right and <laughs> make the most out of it <laughs> how did that usually manifest itself are you someone who's quite detail orientated would you say yeah especially when i was working together with people i was always the one like pushing to add that extra layer or to you know do a bit more and i was never really satisfied i think that that goes through my whole work almost up until this day that that sort of almost feeling of 
it could be better or I could have done better or also with my sets, you know, I've always been quite critical, which I think is healthy to a point. It can get unhealthy when it starts, you know, affect your mood and whatnot. But I think I've learned to deal with it now and I think I'm better. I think it's not as bad, you know, giving myself a little bit. Not as hard time as I used to. Yeah, for sure. You're someone who's obviously placed quite a lot of emphasis on your music being like hard hitting and like, you know, very much club ready. Do you feel like you've kind of come to establish like consistent ways of doing this? You know, when you're sitting down to make a record, are there things that you're really looking to go towards or are there like production techniques or something that you find yourself returning to to achieve these like hard hitting sounds yes and no i think one of the reasons that people still find my stuff interesting and that it still does pretty well is that i actually do change quite a lot of stuff in my tracks they don't all sound the same i mean back in the days maybe they did more like in the 90s because that was but now I kind of try to approach every track in a bit of a different way and not use the same sounds over and over. And But then, of course, there's techniques you use. And I think with the experience of, of DJing for 25 years and you know what's going to work and not. And I've always seen myself more as a DJ than a, a producer. And the main reason to produce for me has most of the time, not always, but most of the time being to create stuff that I can play and that other people can play for the dance floor, just like you said. And there is some things that you can't really change. I mean, for example, a kick drum, it needs to cut through a mix, you know? It doesn't matter what you do. If you want it to sound good in a club, you need to have a good kick drum and things like that. But apart from that, I'm, I'm trying to approach every track slightly different or a lot different. Would you say in terms of the style of house and techno that you've been associated with and producing down the years, would you say that like true originality is a quality that can be quite hard to attain when maybe the parameters of the music are quite tight and quite defined? I think if you look at most techno being produced now and what's going on in the scene, unfortunately, with the endless possibilities that we have these days, uh, a lot of people are taking shortcuts and, you know, using sample packs and a lot of it sounding the same and unoriginal. And I think within Club Year Techno, Aim to the Dance Floor, I think we've managed to keep some sort of originality with the label and with what I've been doing. It's all a bit relative and it depends on what you compare it to. And it's not the first thing I'm looking for anymore in, in the music because I think or it, since a lot of it is done to use when DJing, I think the really original part is a bit more up to the DJ maybe, how mm. you blend the stuff and what you play and how you play it. And sometimes the tracks, for example, if you play like a track that is quite sort of generic and has a certain formula that we've heard a million times together with something which hasn't that creates maybe something quite interesting you know so since the music is quite dj focused and not maybe made for just listen to track by track i think that's how i approach it yeah i see you know uh, do you think the other particular producers that you admire for kind of pushing things forward down the years are the people you really respect in in that regard 
if there are any or who they are or yeah just if from your from your side yeah of course there's always going to be people that you know pushing the boundaries and i think you know i think we've been doing that at points in the history and i think there's a lot of other people doing it right now and but it's it's getting harder and harder and and being one of the people who's been there from the beginning i think most of the time these days i can always find a reference to something that has already been done in most people's music so it's hard to get blown away and feel like especially with techno and feel like wow i've never heard this before or this is original or I mean, some, like a lot of kids right now is into this sort of lo-fi, analog, hardware, that whole thing. And, you know, I, I feel I did that in the 90s. And it just doesn't, you know, like people get excited about an 808 and a 101. And I just don't really get that excited about it anymore because I've, you know, I played around with it for many years when I was young. And, you know, I've, it feels like I've heard it all and I've done it. And I've so I, I get excited more about other things and cross-genre things where for example last year when we had you know deep house blew up and to infuse a bit of that sort of sound into techno which for example harvey mckay did on drum for me those things are more interesting when we start using vocals in techno and just you know genre crossing things and but it depends i mean for me to me those kind of questions are too, almost too relative to be able to answer in a good way because it's so much down to the listener and to to uh who you are and what you're looking for and what purpose you're using the music for i mean it's it's an art so to say that one thing is more original than another how can you yeah, <laughs> who are you to decide you know I wanted to talk a little bit about your DJ gigs and I'm assuming at this point and well actually probably for a long time now most of the shows you play are as headliner have you been someone who's traditionally been comfortable in that role is that something you kind of warm to is it something that you're um, like happy with I think very much so I think it was always my dream and my my goal to be a sort of not main stage DJ, but be a peak time DJ. I like mm. that role. Although I've been experimenting with the houser sounds and being able to adapt and all that. Um, I think, I mean, that's very much what drum code stands for as well. It's like peak time music. So yeah, I feel quite comfortable doing that. I mean, did, would you say over the years you've become somewhat desensitized to playing enormous stages? I mean, I, I assume you've played some just unbelievably sized gigs at this point uh, to be perfectly honest i'm probably more comfortable on a stage like that than sometimes standing in front of 50 people oh, really it's it's weird but that big mass is some sometimes easier to connect to or or easier to handle than a small club with people really up close <laughs> <laughs> is it maybe because it's like something of a disconnect almost if you are up on a stage maybe maybe you don't see and uh, and yeah I'm, I'm yeah i like doing both though and i like the challenge of doing both don't get me wrong i mean of course there's always nervousness involved still and i can still get the old the butterflies and you know the only thing that matters is how prepared you are and knowing your gig that you're going into and if you're well prepared then it doesn't matter where you play and what you do i think yeah, I mean, do you feel like you go into these enormous gigs or the biggest stages with maybe a different set of considerations? Like, do you know that there are um, maybe only certain styles of music that you can play? And has that become easier over the years? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, when you do festival sets and shorter sort of, you pretty much know what you're going to play and you might have a few options and stuff, but people will expect you to play a certain thing. You're booked to play a certain thing. And I like doing that. But yeah, it's more of a, you know, you represent what you're about pretty much, you know, as the main act, Adam Bayer on that stage. Uh, while you're in a club and you do an eight-hour set, it's more about showing your heart and your actual selection of music and showing people music that you're actually, you know, it's more about giving them the full journey and the full insight to who you actually are as a DJ and uh, as a selector, you know. Are there other kind of big stage acts that you would always kind of go out of your way to see? Are the guys kind of doing these size stages that you think really kind of kid it in that regard? What, in terms of DJs? Yeah. I, mean, I wish I, I had the time and the energy to, to stay around more and see everyone all the time. It's funny, but it's probably the same people that I started listening to 20 years ago that was still making effort to see, like Richie or Carl or yeah. Marco Carola and... You know, there's still the... You want to see what the guys do and how they approach the situation and what kind of music. And and they're still at the top of their games, which is quite interesting in a way. I wanted to ask about drum code events specifically because uh, I think at this point you've probably programmed events on like most major continents. But I wondered, is there kind of still places that you would like to go are there still kind of spots that you would like to take drum code to yeah i think so i think we're we'd be doing it for a while and we've been doing it on most continents but there's still still quite a few places to go and festivals to maybe have our own stage our own tent and i mean we haven't done much in ibiza yet which is probably the most difficult market mm. i'm not in a rush to get to ibiza because right now it's saturated anyway and i don't think it would be a good idea but uh, maybe eventually if there's an opening or if there's if the scene changes a bit we've been doing london for i think five years now u.s street car park and which has been a sort of warehouse we've been doing halloween parties for maybe two thousand people and this year we're taking quite a big step up and we're booking a lot of non-dc talent we have expanded it to a six thousand cap venue so I think that's maybe a little bit the next step to start looking outside the DC roster and, and booking other talent and making it more of a global brand with obviously people that we can connect to musically, but that maybe not linked to the label directly. Mm. Maybe you connect the dots with what they're doing. To what yeah, exactly. Doing. You know, yeah. just people we, I mean, we book people like Nina Kravitz and Yours Warren and people that had never done anything for the labor but we still very much respect and we like what they do and yeah so it's it's interesting times for us i mean the conception and the everything around the brand is changing a little bit and the way people view it as well mm. i was uh, interested to see a couple of weekends back you managed to pack six gigs into a weekend i think a number, number of them were in within italy but still felt like a lot kind of wondering are you someone who like takes this in their stride like have you kind of warmed to this over the years or do you have to sort of develop coping mechanisms for like traveling that much and, and doing so many shows i mean part of of being able to to do as much is experience and you kind of know yourself your limits me being a bit of a party head as well 
in the past you know you you kind of need to know when to do what and when to not do what and how to act in in a six gig weekend but I quite I quite like it you know it's it's a challenge and it can be tough but once you're in it you kind of just go from gig to gig and you're so in like in tune with the music and everything it's I think it's just important to try to have a positive mental attitude when you go through it and see the good things and not focus on the on the slightly rough part. <laughs> <laughs> that actually related to what my uh, final question was going to be because you tweeted the other day saying something about how the scene was producing more uh, grumpy old men these days. Um, I wonder what you meant by that and kind of how you stop yourself from becoming a grumpy old man. Yeah, to be honest, you know, I see the people's been doing this for a long time and especially within the techno techno community there seem to be this sort of sometimes negative view on you know EDM and the scene right now and it was better in the past and personally i mean i'm not saying it's a bad thing everyone is entitled of their own opinion and but personally i'm trying to avoid to start to get too sentimental about the past and I'm trying to avoid being negative about what other people are doing. I'm trying to avoid to, you know, when people are negative on the internet, I just, because I think negativity in any form is never productive or healthy, you know. I, I always try to, and that's something I've learned over the years, being in this scene and to, to survive in this scene is always to focus on the positive and and who you are and what you bring to the scene and not look too much to what other people are doing. And, and you know, if someone else is successful, like, wow, you know, even if the Swedish House Mafia or the Avicii or anyone, like, I, I respect those people because they did what they believed in. And maybe I'm not listening to their music, but, you know, I'm very respectful of success and someone who's managed to achieve something. And I think it's, you know, if everyone could think a bit more like that, it would be a much more healthy, funny scene to be in. Because sometimes I just feel like people are too judgmental and too close, you know, narrow and single-minded. And and unfortunately, I see a lot, some of my colleagues, even openly on on the social medias, being negative about stuff. And I, I never understood it. I think, you know, why focus on things like that go and focus on something that makes you happy and maybe tweet about that that's that's how i try to approach it myself 